group of Manhattan yuppies on a road trip, taking a shortcut through a small town along the way. Before they know it, they are pulled over by a local cop and taken to the judge, a over 100-year-old man who loves to punish by death. Hello, everyone. I'm Caleb J. I'm Connor Izagari. Welcome to a new episode of Beyond the Bad. All right, today we'll be talking about 1991's Dark Comedy, Nothing But Trouble. Uh, film that uh, it bombed pretty badly when I was looking it up. Um, was hated by critics upon release and has had several cast members, one in particular, but I think I, when I was looking up, a few others have spoken since then. Um, that have uh, not said too kind of things about the film in recent years. Um, with that said, I'll shoot over to you for the, for the scores. Oh boy, nothing but trouble. Uh, this is sitting at a 13% Rotten Tomato score with a 47% audience score. So pretty universally hated by everybody. Uh, Critics consensus reads, there's nothing good in nothing but trouble. A grotesque comedy that is more likely to make audiences ill than make them laugh. Uh, It's grossed $8 million on a $40 million budget and assured Dan Aykroyd never directed a movie again. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, this is... uh... This was this was rough. Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre two did better. It made me laugh more. Hell, Texas Chainsaw Massacre one made me laugh more, and it has a pretty similar fucking concept. <laughs> yeah, this is um, this is what happens when Dan Aykroyd's fever dream comes to life because that's that's where this came from. And uh, oh, I, I have that. I got all that in there. <laughs> And also, Dan, I know at that point in his career, you know, he he'd done Ghostbusters. Like he was, like he he could kind of write his own check. Like nobody was gonna, t- no studio was gonna tell Dan Aykroyd like this is weird. They trusted him to deliver. And you know, you throw Chevy Chase and John Candy and Demi Moore, all pretty reliable box office draws, into this thing, and you're like, this is this should be a guarantee. Uh, but as we'll as we'll unravel, it was it was not. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, before we do that, though, um, we kind of get into development here. Uh, my my the top of the film, top of the episode question is: uh, What's your history with essentially the the many comedians featured in this film? I'm a lifelong fan of Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd, and John Candy. I like all these. I like. I like their films. I don't like Chevy Chase as a person, but Dan Aykroyd. Oh, he's horrible. He's such a prick in every possible way. I don't know if you ever watched it, but Community, the show he was on. I haven't watched it, but I've heard the stories. Yeah, I've seen. I I was a big fan of the show. Really good show. Really funny show. Um, And I saw some like the 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 bloopers that they would do each season, and like everyone else is laughing. They show him. He's just like yelling. For no reason. It's like, why are you yelling, dude? Jesus. 
I don't get why. Like, how has he not been canceled? I mean, his, you know, his history with SNL alone. I mean, you know, he he kept telling like female staff writers that he could like they could jerk him off later and things like that. Like, he's just he has no respect for women. He keeps he makes random racist jokes. Like, he's he's just an asshole. Um, and he has been since the seventies. Like he, that's been his default setting since the beginning is just asshole. But because he's so funny, I guess he gets a pass. I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. Didn't he do like the, the like a not really apology recently? Was like, yeah, I don't, I said what I said back then. Oh, well, or some shit like that. Like he had like this like really flippant <laughs> remark Probably. about his behavior. I remember reading somewhere. Probably. I know, like, I mean, his, you know, his send off when he was doing weekend update on SNL was, you know, I'm Chevy Chase and you're not. And I, yeah, that's pretty accurate. He had a talk show in the 90s called the Chevy Chase show that like lasted like a week because nobody wanted to talk to him. Like everyone who came on, he like he was an asshole. He berated them. And they're like, we don't want to come on his fucking show. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. But yeah. I've, I've been watching his movies since I was a kid. You know, the vacation movies I love. Caddyshack, I love. Um, and then, you know, Dan Aykroyd also has been, you know, I'm a huge Ghostbusters fan. I love the Blues Brothers. And then John Candy, Great Outdoors, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Home Alone, Uncle Buck. They're all su- they're iconic 80s comedians. Their movies live forever. And you'd think bringing them all together like this would work. But... I mean, the fuck. <laughs> this I'm, is the movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm always in. Like you said, I'm. I'm a fan of uh, Chevy Chase's work, not him as a person. The dude has just great, like, really try sarcastic, like, comedic timing. Um, you have Dan Aykroyd, like you said, top of the board, fucking Ghostbusters, Blue Bros. Like the guy was funny. I really liked. Him. I really liked the the. The joke they brought back in the new Ghostbusters with the "Are you gods?" and then Ray. <laughs> I love I love Aykroyd like his random pop ups in you know comedies in like the early two thousands like Evolution when he's the governor of Arizona who just shows up towards the end of the movie and is like, "Can somebody please explain to me why I've got goddamn aliens crawling over my state?" <laughs> completely like out of the like completely in the dark, like super pissed at the military. I love him. Uh, he's one of those guys who just pops up all the time. Yeah, I don't. I don't much care for his fucking need to go down constant conspiracy routes and in interviews, but he is a comedic genius. Um, That's true. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, John Candy. I just I've always loved John Candy. Like honestly, like that's just an R.I.P. Too soon. When we lost him, that dude is so fucking funny. And he like plane trains and automobiles, him and um Steve Martin, like, oh my god. <laughs> I my favorite, I love plane trains and automobiles, but I think my favorite John Candy movie is probably The Great Outdoors with uh with Dan Aykroyd. And there's they're so funny together. It's such a simple premise. You know, family got like family man goes up to a the lake house with his with his uh wife and kids. And his obnoxious brother-in-law shows up unannounced and impedes on their vacation. And they just butt heads the whole time. It's, it's so funny. There's a scene where John Candy eats a 96 ounce steak on a, on like a dare. And the old 96er. 
And Dan Aykroyd's like helping him. Like he's got his head up to his, his stomach and he's like, all right, it's processing nicely. You're good. <laughs> you can do this. <laughs> it's, it's so fun. If you've never seen the great outdoors, take a minute. It's, it's, it's quick. It's like an hour and a half. It is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. I've been meaning to watch that. I hear a lot of good things. I think I read a story where it was him and Belushi. Um, apparently like these two, uh, it's, it was like, one of the many, like, you know, people recounting interactions with celebrities. This one guy was in night time when he was, him and a bunch of kids were just around, and I guess, like, Belushi and, like, John Candy happened to come out of their trailer or something. They were filming close by, and, like, apparently they got, you know, they got excited. They're like, oh, my God, guys. It's just... And apparently Jim Belushi was like, fuck off, and, like, like to a bunch of kids, and then walked away. And John Candy just kind of looked at some of the kids and was like, popped out a fucking big-ass cigar, just walked over and was like, you got your kids with some autographs? And, like, took the time to, like, sit there and sign autographs and take pictures with them and everything. So, apparently, not only was he really funny, he was a stand-up fucking guy. What I've heard, everyone who worked with him had great things to say. And Frankly, it's not, it's no surprise that Jim Belushi's a, a prick. That, that makes sense. But, um, yeah, John Candy, just, he was a gentle soul. People loved him. He was hilarious. And, yeah, it was just, you know, Way too soon. Such a shock. One of those guys that's missed every day. His films like are gonna last forever, you know. Oh yeah. And then like like you said, all the ones you said, they're just great. I mean, Uncle Buck. I think that was one of my interests before they went down their route. My parents both really liked that movie. And they were like, You haven't seen Sean Candy? And they put on Uncle Buck, and I was like, Oh, this guy's fucking hilarious. <coughs> Uncle Buck is a classic. I I love when he's threatening the guy with the, the, the axe. He's like, I got it right here. You want to come see it? <laughs> Not to kill, just to maim. <laughs> uh, have you ever seen the movie Summer Rental? No. It's, uh, it was not very well received. It's got like a 17%. I disagree with that. That movie's funny as hell. He's an overworked air traffic controller who nearly causes a plane crash. And his his boss makes him take some some vacation time, so he takes his family to the beach, mm-hmm. and chaos ensues because they got like a shitty beach house. And uh, there's a scene where uh, their family's out for the day, and some lady walking past the house like breaks in to, so her kid can use the bathroom, and like people keep walking past the house, being like, "Is this like a house party?" And she's like, "Yeah, take what you need, like doesn't matter." And they come back, and the whole, there's like a bunch of assholes in their house. <laughs> John Candy's already had a bad day. So he's, he's flipping out on these people and he's got um, a, cr- he's got crutches. Cause he like fell off a boat, hurt his leg. So he's like walking with crutches through the house and he kicks everybody out and he goes into his bedroom and there's a dude like just watching the Smurfs in a red hat. And the guy, John Candy's like, get the hell out of my house. And he's like, I'm watching the Smurfs go away. And Candy goes, Oh yeah. Do you ever see the one where Papa Smurf takes a crutch and beats the shit out of a guy with a red hat? out of my house i summer rental is so funny rip torn plays like an old pirate dude it's great jesus rip torn there's anything a rip torn i just think of the jackass songs and how they just kept getting him the fucking not that's rip taylor Taylor. that's yeah i get rip taylor it was weird though that he kept popping up with those (laughs) it was weird except the last one because it was on his um his passing but Rip Torn was Zed in Men in Black. That's right. Yeah. I always get the rips confused. Not a lot of rips in, in Hollywood. 
I get it. I love ropes. <laughs> yeah, uh, these guys, you know, look at their impeccable filmography for the most part, and then you just wonder, like, what went wrong with this? This is like this movie is a case of like the parts were there for it to be like essentially like a comedy team up, especially because at that point in '91, this you could argue was when like a lot of their heydays were kind of well, they're on the toe end of their various heydays from the yeah. 80s. Um, maybe not True. so John Candy because I know he had like still a lot of good stuff going on in the 90s until his um until his passing. Um, but you know, Chevy Chase a lot of his big hits are on the 80s. Um, Dan Eichert, obviously, you know, Ghostbusters a lot. So you can tell, like, this was could have been like a real big thing to maybe even rejuvenate a little bit and keep them going. And it, it was not, it was actually not, I, I don't know. I feel like there's probably like a, po- a pre nothing but trouble career for these guys, and then they post nothing but trouble career for these guys now. <laughs> this was kind of the nail in the coffin of the 80s almost, like for these guys. Yeah, like just well, I guess it's time to find a new comedy group, which did not get found until what the early two thousands when Will Ferrell and Ben Stiller and them were starting to break out and become big hits. Well, I mean, you know, around the, you know, I think like right after these guys, you had like the nineties SNL guys like Mike Myers and Chris Farley and oh, that's right, Adam Sandler, Jim Carrey. They kind of re, you know took took over almost. Isn't that kind of funny to me? But- uh, with comedy, like you always get like a pack of people that just kind of take over by storm. Yeah, I think one hundred percent you can throw SNL that credit because they kind of you know it becomes like a breeding ground for young comics who become popular on television. They get movie deals and they just get to kind of hone their craft. Yeah, because think about we had the eighties with like you know Candy and Belushi and Ackroyd and Murray and all these guys, Chevy Chase, right? In the 90s, you know, like you said, made way for things like Jim Carrey and Adam Sandler. Um, a lot of those guys are growing off of SNL in the 90s. Then early 2000s, you know, then that's when you guys started seeing people like Ron Farrell and Paul Rudd and Seth Rogen. Um, and you had that. Uh, essentially, the ones that we grew up on, our childhood of comedic uh, output people, which I still, I still kind of miss that part of my childhood to this day. Because <laughs> those were some good comedies that came out. Yeah, I regret that it took, you know, I didn't see American Pie till I was like graduated college. Like I didn't get to grow up with that. I'm sure that would have that would have made a lot more sense. Yeah, it's a funny movie. <laughs> One of my favorite scenes is when his dad comes home. <laughs> the pie is just sitting on the table messed up. So we're just going to tell your mom the dog got into it. <laughs> <laughs> How do you parent that? I mean, like you come home, your your son's dicks in a pie. What do you what do you do? <laughs> oh, ah, good times. Good times. Well, that said, let's not go to such good times and talk about the development for this film. So the ideal for this film, believe it or not, was after. Producer Robert K. Weiss, and then both the Ackwood Bros, Ackwood Bros, Peter and Dan, decided to attend a screening of the big horror hit at the time, Hellraiser. Why would these three comedy, well, two, you know, Ackroyd and fellow, you know, comedic leaning people watching a horror film 
uh, Wyatt had a fractured rib at the time, and he didn't want to hurt it anymore by laughing. So they said, let's just go watch a horror film. <laughs> I love that, but I would just leave him at home. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, just stay home and watch a movie, man. You're so I fragile, should... laughing will hurt you. You probably shouldn't be going to the movies. <laughs> That's funny, though. Yeah, literally, they were like, well, I hurt my verb. I don't want to laugh. Let's go do a horror film. So they, they picked Hellraiser because that was a big hot film at the time in horror. So as they're watching it, they are noticing that the audience is laughing, which I have seen Hellraiser plenty of times. And I love Hellraiser. I don't know why audiences were laughing in 87 when this film came out. Was there like a sadists only screening that the Aykroyds and Weiss somehow stumbled into? Because that's fucked up. It's an audience just filled with people in like leather and bondage gear. Just BDSM shit. They're just like, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Yeah. So once they noticed that, Rice, being a fucking Hollywood producer, immediately thought, hey, we should make a horror comedy since audiences like to both laugh and be scared at the exact same time. So that's how the idea came about. The story was partially based off a time Dan Acker was pulled over for speeding and was invited to stay for tea with the judge, with the justice of the peace, after having to go through what he called as a kangaroo court my god this actually happened to dan Aykroyd. yes that's, that's bonkers that is such abusive power yeah except he said apparently he had tea only had to stay for a couple minutes stayed for like a couple of hours had a great time and then left went home nothing nefarious like in the movie that's still weird for a cop to take you to a judge over a speeding and then the judge is like you want to hang out <laughs> what the fuck that doesn't sound kosher. Probably not. Um, I've never heard of that in my life. Oh, but that's, 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 that's wild. Doesn't stop there how this was pieced together. So what you alluded to earlier, uh, the dreams. So as that has to go with the bizarre characters and events, all of that was based off dreams Ackroyd was having at the time, which I wonder what the fuck he was on in the 80s to be having those types of dreams. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. It was 80s. Yeah, pretty much every 80s comedy you love came out of white powder, like 100%. Jesus Christ. Yep. It's a vitamin to help you write better. I had heard story when I was uh, briefly worked in film over in Austin. One that one the older guys talked about how like when you did films in the 80s, like someone would have like a tray of cocaine that they would walk around just offer to all the crew members. Ah, I was... I wish I was alive in the 80s. I would have had such a great time. Just nothing but, you know, cocaine and giant hairdos and completely un-PC comedy. Just everyone was happy. (laughs) I sincerely believe the 80s is the happiest decade of human history. Yeah, after that, it kind of goes downhill. <laughs> the Cold War was pretty much over. <laughs> like, everybody was just like, you know, video games, MTV, and like McDonald's cups were cool. Like, there was nothing else. 
Yeah, it's probably why like eighties nostalgia is going into such a big swing. Everyone was like, just take us back to that place. Yeah, when you could just you know, if you had a movie idea, somebody would just kind of give you the tray of coke, let you let you rip one, and then say, pitch it to me. As they're ripping coke, while you're pitching, there was just a thin layer of white dust everywhere in America in the 1980s. It was just there. You, everyone thought it was smog. It wasn't. It was coke. coke. Copious amounts of coke. <laughs> Tony Montana would have been proud. <laughs> oh, good. I wish. Uh, oh, now, God, now I'm starting. And I don't know how the 80s would have been. God, what time to be alive? Um, as for the town, if you're wondering why, uh, huh, the whole like exploding explosions underground seems familiar, that the town was based off of the real life Centralia, Pennsylvania, which I forget when that all went down. But for those who don't know, quick little crash course in history. It was a town in Pennsylvania known as Centralia that is completely abandoned now. You cannot live in it. It's um, It used to be a mining town, and an explosion happened underneath the mines. I forget how, but an explosion happened, and because of the nature of like the mines and how this goes, they couldn't stop it. So literally, the explosions kept happening underneath the town. Jesus. Like... And there's, like, the road can literally just fall in at any time. Like, steam comes out from the ground. Um, They they had to get families out of there. There used to be a stretch of road that was graffitied um, that people would graffiti for fun because there literally was just a road in and out of town. Cops got all pissy and fucking stopped allowing it. But I don't know if it was just because they were annoyed or because, like, it's starting to get dangerous out there but it's like the town the fire that's it there's a fire underneath the town to this very day and we're just people have just abandoned any idea of of trying to stop this or mm-hmm. preserve the town or demolish a town it's just an abandoned town that's on fire yes that's terrifying i love that why have there not been any horror movies set in this place besides this mm-hmm. weird ass movie there's been stuff based off it but nothing like yeah <laughs> It's like some kind of explosion happened. There's been an ever-raging fire underneath the town. That is awesome. I'm going to remember that. Yeah. And all they did was like told people like, hey, you got to get your families out of here. Like this isn't the family stayed for a while. It wasn't like an immediate thing. But as the years went on and it got more dangerous to live there because of the fucking raging ass fire, more and more people started leaving to the point that it's no longer it's it, you cannot live there. You imagine living in some some small Pennsylvania town. You get a knock on the door, and it's a cop saying, "Like, hey, you got to go. The town's on fire. Yeah, <laughs> it's about to collapse. So uh, you might want to grab your essentials and get out of here." Like, it's a Wednesday. <laughs> You're just like, "Oh shit, my life's over." All right, okay, <laughs> that's insane. Yeah, it's I I heard about it off some horror documentary I was watching. Um, it was something I was watching where they were like visiting real life wars and that was one of the places they visited and I got really really interested in it um but yeah for those interested in Centralia Pennsylvania I believe you can still for years you could just go into the town at your own risk that was kind of like the deal 
Um, I don't know if that's the case anymore. Like I said, um, there's parts of it that are like very much monitored by police to keep people out because it's, you know, as years went on, it's just kind of worse, obviously, right? I think like literally the fire cannot stop until the whole town caves in and they can be like, all right, let's put some water on that. Let's patch things up. <laughs> but uh, I, yeah, I would have to relook what you can do now. I don't know how open the town is for visitors to just peruse, but if it is, just know if you are going to look into that town, you fucking do it at your own risk because it can literally cave in. You can like fall into the fucking fire if you know you, you walked wrong. I got this. I wonder if I know this is a morbid thought, but I wonder how popular that area is as a suicide destination. Jesus Christ. I mean, if you're going to go, jumping into a giant fire is a hell of a way to go. It is a hell of a way to go. Like, it's going to hurt, but you're going to be remembered. I don't know. I mean, this is not a crazy thought. I mean, there are places in this world that are popular with, with jumpers. And I imagine the giant Pennsylvania fire has got to be on that list. Uh, but yeah, um, for those who want to visit or just, you know, in the safety of the internet age we live in, look it up. Central Pennsylvania. Um, insane story. Those pictures online if you want to look up the town, how it looks now. So... Huh. All right. Now, as for who would ultimately direct this film, we know who ultimately direct this film, but it wasn't the first choice, actually. So originally, this script was offered to none other than a Mr. John Hughes. No. Well, <laughs> he turned it down because he only directed his own scripts. Which you could say is pretentious, and it is, but this is also '91, so this is after the man's like literally built an entire like almost like a genre of film for some people in the '80s. So like he had clout, you know what I mean? Like it's not like he's saying this. He had he had fucking sixteen candles, Breakfast Club, like uh, I was about to say Pretty in Pink, but actually it might be Pretty in Pink. I'm thinking of um, that's, that's his Pretty in Pink. Yeah. Is his. Yeah, that's what I thought. So, I mean, the guy, to his credit, he had, like, you know, the clout to be like, yeah, no, I only do my own scripts. We see, Pretentious, know, I think, yes, but he had that he had that ability. Pretentious, but also, like, that's what Quentin Tarantino does. That's what Paul Thomas Anderson does. So, I mean, that's what the Coen brothers do. So, is it pretentious, or is it just, like, I trust myself to see this story through the right way? Yeah. So, I mean, if I was a screenwriter and a director, I would do exactly that all the time. No, I, I totally get Like I said, if you had been like pre all that stuff, you'd be like, that's a little kind of dickish. Like, you haven't proven your worth. But I'm like, it's 91. Like, this guy had some bona fide fucking hits under his belt to be like, yeah, no, I do my own scripts. Fuck off. I'm not doing this. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, but he wasn't the only director they offered. Um, next up, they said they asked John Landis. Direct. Again, 91, so pre the, you know, Twilight Zone. No, this was significantly that, post. I was post? I thought it was pre. By the way, they offered John Landis. Hmm. Yeah, that didn't hurt his career as much as it should have. No. He's, well, now I don't think he really directs a whole bunch anymore. 
Oh no. Well now eventually people were like, wait a minute. He got three people killed. <laughs> Let's stop yeah. giving him work. But in the late eighties, like, you know, coming to America still happened. Like he was, he was doing all right. And this actually is kind of right up his alley. This I think is he, right up his alley. Yeah. But, Would have been interesting. Yeah. But the reason he turned down was because he had an absolute dislike for the script. <laughs> To their face, told him, I hate this script. No. <laughs> That's great. I love that. To just tell Dan Aykroyd, like, yeah, we work together and you're good. Like, you know, you're you're cool, Dan, but this is this is dog shit. It's a dog shit script. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's crazy. Yeah, I was like, okay, let's all right. Um, as they're doing this, eventually the script will catch the attention of the studio that just can't get DC right, uh, Warner Bros, who liked it. And the only caveat was they wanted John Kane to star. That was the only thing. They're like, hey, we like it. Is there any way we can get John Kane to star in it? <laughs> I love this, this specificity of that. And no, they did not fucking love it. There's no way. There's, they just thought Dan Aykroyd, John Candy, you know, Great Outdoors was good. We'll make it like we're going to have another one. But I love that they're like, this specific actor, can he be in this movie somehow? The studios just pull that shit all the time. Makes me laugh. Oh, yeah. They're like, we really like this one actor. Can we can you can we please put him in there? <laughs> oh, I mean, uh, I guess Dan was cool with that because he's in it. Yeah, well, now it becomes a whole point of where Mr. Good Old Dan Aykroyd here just kind of agrees to a lot of stuff. Um, so obviously agrees that Sean Kane's in the film, right? Um, now, Aykroyd actually, as as we know, if you've seen the film, he plays Judge Valkenheiser. He also won to pull off a dual role and play the main character, Chris Thorne. Mm. This somebody at Warner Brothers really wanted like an SNL reunion movie. They really want they were like, we can make this work. Yeah. And John Candy's huge right now. Like, well, this will this will work. Uh, that's funny as hell. And yeah, Chevy Chase, you know, him and Dan Aykroyd worked together on uh, Spies Like Us, which is I think is a pretty underrated comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, Chevy doesn't exactly have good chemistry with anybody because he's just he goes out of his way to be an asshole yeah i, th- I just think it's funny that like the studio at every point was like no we're cool with that but we have this other comedic actor that we really want to put in the film in mind like at, at one point it's like who do you not want that isn't working in comedy right now in this damn movie huh you tell me warner bros I feel like they didn't really want dan Aykroyd. I mean, it is weird that he's like, I'm going to be the bad guy. I'm also going to be the, the hero. I also am going to be a big, weird baby. And I'm going to direct this thing. Yeah. Like, all the studios go, well, wait, let's at least take away the main character and give that to someone else. <laughs> it is funny that nobody objected to the fucking demon babies, which we'll talk about at length down the road. Yes. Um. But so far, again, Mr. Ackroyd here actually doesn't put up a fight. At the time, he was friends with uh, Chevy Chase, so he agreed to go ahead and say, okay, yeah, I'm friends with him anyway. Um, 
He also, at this point, even though he didn't want to do it, he was not interested in doing it. Um, he finally would step in and direct the film because literally everyone else kept saying no. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if he went to Ivan Reitman. I didn't see anything about him going to Ivan Reitman. So. I bet they had like a coffee or something and Ivan was like, Dan, no. I'm not, I'm not doing this. And this is a bad movie. I wonder how many friends told him like, this is not a good move. You, you got to shelve this thing or at least have Carrie Fisher ghostwrite it or something to do something with this. But this is horrible. <laughs> do anything but this movie, please. Sure, Dan was like, you're one of them, aren't you? Thinking like they're men in black or something. Anybody who said this is a bad movie, he's like, I knew it. You're part of this. <laughs> As he's sipping from his what his crystal skull vodka, what the fuck it is. I'm just picturing him drinking from like an actual human skull full of vodka, just being like, you think I'm I'm not crazy. You're crazy. <laughs> oh boy. Oh. You'd think all the roadblocks would have wised him up, made Dan think like maybe this isn't a good idea. No, he just kept pushing forward. And as you alluded to earlier, it's a point that he also agreed to play the giant baby Bobo, um, which he did admit later proved extraordinarily stressful uh, due uh, to both playing two parts in heavy makeup while having to also direct and produce this film. And uh, no shit was that probably stressful. You're trying to direct a film. And then also have to put do two different makeup draws for two different fucking characters. I would I hope he directed in the baby costume a couple times at least when he's like, all right, everybody. Like in a super refined director's professional voice, dressed as a giant, weird, greasy baby. He's just like, We're gonna have a good set today. Weather conditions are fine. Chevy, I love what you're doing. Just as a big baby. And nobody can take him seriously. <laughs> oh, that would be great. I want to foster a good environment for creativity, everybody. Like, we're going to do this together. Balkanvania on three. <laughs> Guys, we get through this. I got Crystal Skull Vodka waiting for us. All right? I like to picture he, he hired, like, a good chunk of the film's budget went to extra security to watch out for the men in black. <laughs> and they had to wear like white suits so they didn't get confused. <laughs> he just comes on and responds his ear throughout the day. There's a code word that's recycled every single day. And like the security dudes have to repeat it to Dan Aykroyd or else he thinks that they're, they're part of the conspiracy. It's like Dan daffodil. <laughs> All right, you're good, Carl. Keep keep up the good work. <laughs> what if like one is going to fight with them one day and starts running through the set, yelling the code word that the men in black are there? If you're telling me Dan Aykroyd does not have a gun, you're wrong. <laughs> so he'd, he'd start shooting. I mean, this dude believes. Yeah, look, look, let me know. I love Dan Aykroyd as a comedic talent, but the like if you're wondering why we're doing, like look at this man and his beliefs and how strong he believes in this stuff. It's a little funny. It's yeah, it's it's, it's hard not to not to laugh at this to to make jokes about it because the dude is so adamant that not only do aliens exist, but 
they're like after him specifically. Like the men in black have an interest in Dan Aykroyd for some reason. Yeah. And it's, the reason it's just so funny is because it's literally been to the point that it's eclipsed his later career. Because he won't talk about movie projects. He's like, I have to tell you about aliens. He's like, no, Dan, what are you, what are you doing film-wise, bro? No, nah, that, that's not what's important. But aliens. Even his commercial, I watched his commercial for his fucking Christmas vodka. He cannot help himself but start going down a fucking conspiracy route in that. It's so great. That's hilarious. Yeah, he's, you know, I, I don't know where, I don't know at what point in his career his priority shifted from comedy movies to vodka and alien conspiracies. But I'm sure if we watched all of his films in a row, we could find the moment. Good. And I think it's around 91. <laughs> but you know what? To his credit, he still brings it every so often when he does pop up in a movie like the new Ghostbusters. He brought it, and I was very happy. So. He yeah. still has it. It's just still got it. Well, I mean, he went hard on you know Ghostbusters. He he made sure all the technical terms were correct. So he's he's into some scientific like shit. So you know maybe maybe we should be listening to Dan Aykroyd. Maybe he uncovered the truth. Let's not get ahead of ourselves here. And for the price huh. of a bottle of Crystal Skull vodka, you can know the truth too. I'm not gonna lie, so many people like vodka. I actually kind of want it just because of the, the container it's in. It's like it it looks nice. The presentation is nice. Yeah, but, well, uh, looks great. Yeah. But no, he's not so great and not so nice to people. And now we're gonna talk about it because this is what's up next in my script. Chevy Chase. Um, so during filming, unsurprisingly, for those who know anything about Chevy Chase's uh behind the scenes and shenanigans uh he would be demeaning or verbally abrasive to various cast and crew members um for example and now what i'm about to say just remember that him and dan Aykroyd are friends and that's why Aykroyd agreed to let chevy chase in this film keep that in mind as i go forward um so first he told demi moore her costume was too revealing even though that's the whole fucking motivating factor for his character, um, and yelled at Ackroyd, saying he was worth more than him because his paycheck was higher, despite Ackroyd being the director. Jesus. I hate to see how Chase treats his enemies. Wow. Yeah. How are you... How, man... If, if I ever had any of you say that to me, I'd be like, well, we're not friends anymore. Fuck off. Like, I can't believe, like, how many, I wonder how many people are, like, have Chevy Chase as the dickhead friend. Like, I feel like that's all he is to people. Yeah. I used to think, like, you know, like, because you see it, especially, like, a lot of 80s horror films, the dickhead friend I'm watching, like, who the fuck would have that in their friend group? I'd kick you out immediately. Apparently, it was because that was an actual thing, and Jeffrey Chase personifies that, where he was like probably just a dickhead friend in every social setting. It's amazing to me that in a like almost I think fifty year career, he never had that moment of clarity, moment of like, oh, I've been such an asshole. Like he never got visited by three ghosts. It's just been dick his entire career. He has never tried 
to lessen it, tried to be better, apologize. He's just like, I'm Chevy Chase and fuck you. <laughs> Since day one of SNL, that's been him. I'm Chevy Chase, one of the greatest comedians that's ever lived on this planet. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> ah, Cornelius Crane Chase. Why do we keep laughing? That's his real name, by the way. Oh, my God. He has good delivery. I won't lie. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like his movies are funny because of the people around him. Like, he's never been, like, a couple times in the 80s. But overall, I feel like he's not as amazing as he seems to think he is. I mean, it's not amazing, but he is funny. Like, I like a lot of his comedies. I do too. But I don't think he's the funniest guy in the room in those movies. Like Caddyshack, for instance. I think he's outshined by Rodney Dangerfield and Bill Murray substantially. Vacation movies. I think Randy Quaid jokes circles around him. Oh, yeah. The one that played his uh, fucking brother-in-law or whatever. Cousin Eddie. Yeah. Cousin Eddie. (laughs) Yeah. Had to clean out the shitter. <laughs> you checked our shitters, honey. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Shitter was full. <laughs> ah, good, great movie. But yeah, I just, I, I don't know. The more I watch him, the more I just keep thinking about all the abrasive shit he does to people. It's, it's hard to, hard to like, just anything he does. Yeah. I mean, I still like what he does. Like, like I said, I like like when he was on community. I liked community. He was not the person I laughed at the most. Um, that actually slowly went to Don Glover and uh, his the guy he played Abed. Those two were hilarious. Uh, Joe McHale, who's fucking comedy gold in my opinion, that not enough people talk about. Um, they were the funny ones. Um, his character is okay. Um, I do remember when I when I talked about earlier when you know the bloopers are him just yelling. It's also like if you in some of the scenes when he yells, you can kind of hear in like the crew member's voice how tired they are. <laughs> so it was like one where they he yells something, you can see the crew member in the background, like the creators of the show, the director be like, Yes, Chevy. Like you can just hear the annoyance in his voice already. Like until he just really wants to tell him, like, shut the fuck up and do the goddamn scene and stop yelling. Oh, that's that's unfortunate. But I mean, to treat your friend like that, to be like, you know, I make more than you, so I'm worth more than you. So don't tell me what to fucking do. Why are you here? Yeah, because you're not even like I'm gonna say he wasn't that funny in the fucking movie. This he movie doesn't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I remember watching this going, "You're not that funny in this movie, man." Like, usually I'm dying at your fucking, you know, quick little try delivery, but fuck me, you're boring. Well, I was reading in the trivia that like he also did not like the script, but he wanted to work with Dan Aykroyd again. So like he didn't even care about the movie. The whole reason he's here is so he could work with Dan Aykroyd again, and he's just screaming at him the whole time. Ah, I can't imagine. Yeah. We're friends somehow. Oh, uh-huh. ah, God, Jeffy Chase. Well, so this the it would not end here though for some of the films bros. Um, so originally, for those, if you have seen this film, you're probably thinking, why did they pick this date to release it? I don't know. Um, it was originally slated for a December 1990 release. 
Okay. Why December for a film that could very well have probably played very very well in like October time frame? But they picked December, 1990. I don't know fucking studio. But yeah, this is Hollywood. They wanted to play Hocus Pocus in fucking summer. And then they didn't think anything of it. Like, oh yeah, Hocus Pocus in summer. People are going to want to go see that in the summertime. Fucking morons. Um, <laughs> the film would get delayed, though. Due to recut the studio recutting the film to a PG 13 rating, removing a bunch of the over the top violence and changing the title. Well, what was the title? Vulcan Mania. Oh, they what, the changed studio? it to nothing but trouble. The studio just think like Vulcan Mania is not a real word, people aren't going to know what this means. Like, well, watch the movie, yeah. Ackroyd has referred to it only as Vulcan Mania in, in interviews. So, you know, he, he believes. That must be confusing. I wonder if on the press tour, he just keeps talking about this new movie he's doing called Vulcan Mania, and the poster behind him says nothing but trouble. That's going to confuse the shit out of people. <laughs> you don't tell Dan Ackroyd that he's wrong, okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. And I think that this being a hard R, super violent movie, I think I think that might have saved it. Yeah, because it was again they, were, as I said, they were wanting to make a horror comedy or a dark comedy, or whatever. So it would have played a lot better had it just been rated or had you allowed Chevy Chase to go in and just cuss. So I keep cutting out scenes. It was clear that he was getting ready to fucking go at it. Yeah, weird. That that's what you would do with this movie. It's almost like the studio had no faith in this from the beginning. They just didn't want to tell Dan Aykroyd no. <laughs> Someone's like, if we tell him no, we got to listen about why aliens and men in black are real. Just, just fucking let him do what he wants. We'll, tell, we'll deal with it later. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if we're ever contacted by alien beings, especially after 9-11. It's a real thing he said on CNN. And yet he was quiet when the government admitted that aliens existed. It still bugs me to say that the government fully came forth and was like, yeah, we don't look guys. So some of it is us testing new equipment. Some of it is other countries testing it. And I think it was a big number. They were like, yeah, they were whopping 90%. We're not accounting for. Yeah. We don't know. And I'm like, holy shit. They just admitted in all these crazy UFOologist people, quiet i'm like i think i think they're thinking like the government would never tell us the real number like this is a cover-up to cover what the government really knows about aliens yeah i guarantee you that's what happened probably i'm just like fuck you guys fuck all of you all you people like dan Aykroyd. yeah finally get told by the government themselves they're like look for transparency ufos exist we don't fucking we can't account for most of this shit flying out there. And then we just went, okay, sure. One day we're going to have first contact with an alien race. They're going to land somewhere on the planet. The ship door is going to open and it's going to be an entire race of fuckers that look like Bobo. Because Dan Aykroyd was not getting, he was not having dreams. He was getting alien information beamed into his head when he was asleep. And this was the only time that the truth leaked into, like, actual filmmaking. 
that's going to happen. And their leader is going to look like the fucking judge. That's horrifying. (laughs) Ridiculous. Uh, Well, this delay will move the film two months uh, past the schedule. So it would release in February 1991. Um, And as we said at the beginning, it would become a huge bomb and become critically reviled. Uh, Chevy Chase himself has uh, later expressed dislike for the film, saying that he only did it because it was a friendship with Ackroyd. Again, a friendship that apparently involves you yelling and berating your own fucking friend. Bill Murray 100% said no. I don't think there was a formal offering, but I bet he had lunch with Dan and he was like, absolutely not. <laughs> and I love you. Love what we did with Ghostbusters. I ain't doing this. Uh, Harold Ramis said no. Jim Belushi even, I bet, said no. Chevy probably has difficulty getting work, I would imagine. So he's like, all right, I'll take it, but I'm not going to enjoy it. Because <laughs> remember, I'm worth way more than you, Dan. And I'll see you at the barbecue, bestie. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's two. Maybe Chevy Chase is like bipolar. Yeah, well, I feel like he's just like yelling in a bit and after that. He's like, so you still coming over for Saturday? Barbecue? Game? What's going for that? Reminds me of the Big Lebowski when dude's on the phone with Walter and he's like, <coughs> what? There is an unspoken message here. It's fuck you. Leave me the fuck alone. And he's like, yeah, I'll be at practice. <laughs> That's that's their relationship. It was on one side and then like, yeah, I'll be there. Don't worry. Of course I've got the potato salad. You know. You know how we do it. it is, I, I don't understand. I could never maintain a friendship with somebody like Chevy Chase. I could never. No. The second, you know, I, I don't surround myself with assholes. I don't have the asshole friend because like, why would you want it? Why would you want that in your life? I don't know. Because even like if I, when I'm when I'm being quote unquote an asshole, I'm doing it in a joking way. I'm not trying to mean you. I'm just having fun. Yeah, I know. I'm not yelling at you. But I'm like, <laughs> well, let me go at Connor today. See how he reacts to me fucking berating him at the top of my voice. Just get a text like, you're worth nothing. <laughs> See you Friday. <laughs> Yeah, I'd have to I'd have to throw some questions like, hey, uh, what do you think this means? <laughs> Shit got real. <laughs> uh, probably now that just wants to one day send you that text. <laughs> I'm worth more than you. Also, see you on Sunday, buddy. <laughs> I'm getting mixed messages. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. This is a this is Dan's reality. He had to deal with that. Like this is my buddy telling me I'm worthless. <laughs> I think some guys came up like, "You really want to take that from him? It, it's just our thing, man. It's part of our friendship." He's just like, "Ah, oh, Chevy, what a kidder." <laughs> Everyone's like looking real worried because he just had like a super, super real meltdown. 
And Dan's just like, ah, he's always doing this. He's such a kidder. He goes to his trailer and he starts start crying. Throws him some finger guns like, ah. And you just hear like very loud, just like weeping <laughs> from Dan's trailer. <laughs> Bill Murray comes out of the crowd. They didn't even know he was there. He's like, I got this. Don't worry. I got this. <laughs> He's just following Dan around whenever Chevy's, Chevy's there. Uh, is that why Bill Murray just pops up and stuff? He's just keeping an eye on Dan. Yeah. Uh, are you talking about the men in black again? All right. All right. Everyone's kind of, I got this. I wouldn't be surprised if Bill Murray is an uncredited extra in so many movies because he just wanders around. Like, I bet you could do, you could play like a Where's Waldo just looking for Bill Murray in random movies. And I bet you'd find him. He's <laughs> there. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Well, that's all I have for development. So if there's nothing else, we'll just move on to awards. God. I saw it in my head, just like just the crying in the trailer. Danny, you ready to shoot? Just give me a second. He's putting on the baby costume. He's like, I'll be all right. We're gonna, we got to shoot. We're running out of daylight. <laughs> Comes oh. out on, damn you, get her. Nah, let's let's shoot the next scene, you you jokester. Oh, that's funny. I read that somebody in the crew threatened to drop a brick on Chevy Chase's head if he ever talked to Dan Aykroyd like that again. What the fuck? Yeah, because he like bat, you know, he trash talked the director in front of everybody, and the crew's like, "You ever do that again? I'm gonna kill you with a brick." Jesus Christ! I wonder what Chevy said to that. And I bet you that was Bill Murray, <laughs> like wearing a wearing a hat or something. <laughs> do it, Chevy! Don't tempt me. And they, you know, they they had a fight in a an SNL that I think Belushi had to break up. John Belushi. Bill Murray and Chevy Chase hate each other. Oh, really? I didn't know that, actually. Oh, yeah. They they got in a fist fight on SNL, like, right before Curtain was going up. And John Belushi had to be like, we're working. We're working. Like, don't. Save it. <laughs> it, it got rough. Holy and then they shit. just snapped out of it and went and did sketches. I can kind of see that. I, I've heard pretty good things about uh, Bill Murray. Like, I don't hear a lot of complaints. About him, or some set. weird random stories where he like got really drunk and like yelled at Richard Dreyfus. But like overall, I'd, I'd rather hang out with Bill Murray than Chevy Chase. Yeah, it's probably a lot more fun. Yeah. I love his weird ass interactions with people. Like I remember reading this one story where these guys were at a bar and somebody reached over and grabbed some of their fries and looked up and it was Bill Murray, and he told them like no one will ever believe you, and then walked away. <laughs> He does that to people all the time. Just fucks with them because he knows, like, no one's gonna, no one's gonna buy it. Oh yeah, Bill Murray took your fries. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Likely story, bud. You were late because Bill Murray ran into your car. Okay. But then, like, you know, there was this one story on the set of, uh, oh, what was the film? I don't think it was lost in translation. It was a drama, though, where like some assistant director told him to like 
we got to hurry. So like, you need to be on the set at this time. And the guy, and Bill Murray just like grabbed this dude and flipped him onto a table and said like, I, I you don't tell me when to work. I tell me when to work. Jesus so, Christ. They might all be assholes. And I think that's a safe bet. There was the whole thing where he like told Lucy Lou he doesn't think she can act. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, and they 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 respond by firing him from the sequel, which is fucking. If anything, if I was Lucy Lou, like I'd be like I'd hold that over and be like, huh, you tried telling me something, and your ass got fired, and you're fucking Bo Murray. I know on the set of What About Bob, he got really drunk and he screamed at Richard Dreyfus something like, no one here likes you. Some really personal shit. So I, he's got a dark side. They got demons, these guys. That's usually uh, how it is with comedians. They use the humor to uh, mask the, the demons. Oh, yeah. And Chevy yeah. Chase just lets them all hang out. No, Jimmy Chase, he's just an asshole, I think. I don't think there's no demon hiding. I think he's just a prick. The demon tried, and he's like, God, this douche. He <laughs> just left. <laughs> I can't deal with this guy. <laughs> I'm, I'm out of here. I would love – that'd be a great movie. A, a demon tries to possess a guy, but the guy is such an asshole, the demon can't do anything about it. He can't get through. <laughs> oh. I'm going to – all right, All right. Speaking let's of, give awards. Speaking of pretentious assholes, let's talk about our first one, Zack Snyder. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, I had a couple of scenes down for this. Uh, the hot dog dinner always skeeves me out. It's just so gross. But <sighs> nothing beats the random hip-hop scene we get at the end of the movie. Holy shit. I, oh, wow. We... we both pick the same fucking thing because it's so terrible and unnecessary it's out of nowhere yeah. a hip-hop troop gets pulled over and and the judge has a like he jams with them and he's like you're free to go yeah it's like really out of character of what we just watched the judge do yeah it's like tupac's there it's 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 weird and it's a, it's a catchy tune too but it's like weren't we just in murderville like what what happened now now we're now we're making music the tone of yeah. this thing is all over the fucking place. Oh, yeah. No, it's funny because like I said I actually had a bunch of scenes written down myself. And I had the dinner scene written down as well because I was like, this is such a weird scene. Um, but I was like, as soon as this scene played, I'm like, this is the scene. Because, yeah, it's like it's just left field. Like, and it has to do with uh, kind of what I'll talk more about when it comes to my film, first filmmaking decision. But it's just like, like so the tone is so all over the place in this movie. And then, like, and the 90s was like, so if like, you know, we always made a joke about like, you know, the, the early 2000s, like rock or metal music being played at the end of a horror film period, which look, say what you will about that period. I'm, I'm a sucker for how cheesy that was. Um, there was something we said about the 90s need to put a fucking rap song <laughs> yeah. randomly into so many fucking movies. Absolutely. There are so many random shitty rap songs at the end of 90s movies. I mean, Run DMC did one for Ghostbusters 2. There's one at the end of fucking Dunstan Checks In, that Monkey Hotel movie that I have a soft spot for. Um, It it is all over the place. It's so, it was such a weird thing. 
yeah it's like and that's why i say like it's like the rap had its time with that and then next thing you know it was okay we've done that now so let's do metal songs and horror films at the end of the credits what's it didn't vanilla ice do a rap song for a ninja turtles movie yeah he did the second one oh Remember that that brief blip where Vanilla Ice was like the hottest shit on earth? Yeah, he was Ice Ice Baby. But it was like, it was that. He he got a movie, Cool as Ice. He was doing Ninja Turtle songs. Now he's doing like a home repair TV show where like Vanilla Ice can be the guy building your house, which doesn't sound like the best uh, construction job you could get. No, I I remember that scene and ninja toes it's like they're they're they get the ooze and they're like running to town and they just bust through a random vanilla ice show and they start like dancing on the stage with them look i actually really love the secret of the ooze i'm gonna say that right now (laughs) and they just start dancing and like rapping the song and Uh. they wakes the bad guys come in but it's just they, the whole movie just stops for a quick second to give way for this song. That have that happens though sometimes. Like, I, I it's weird when like the movie just stops for a like extended celebrity cameo. Like you remember, in, have you, you seen the Cat in the Hat? Yeah. Remember when they just burst into a random like underground nightclub and the cat starts dancing like sexually aggressively with Paris Hilton? Oh yeah. In this. Fucking G-rated kids movie. Such a fucking weird movie. I know. I can't wait to do it here. I can't wait. <laughs> but yeah, it's just yeah. it's weird that when that happens. I remember being a kid and thinking it was like super fucking funny because I really liked Mike Myers. Same. I forgave a lot of dumb shit because I was a big Mike Myers fan. <laughs> uh, it'd be nice to watch that film with a clear head and be like, "What the fuck was I thinking?" <laughs> yeah. Right. I still like the Austin Powers movies. Those still hold up. Oh, yeah. Those are great. Shrek's great. Wayne's World's great. Everything else in between, though. <laughs> just, just let me go in there with a gun and blast them. Get just don't get it, Scott. Get just don't get it. I haven't sat down and watched those in a long time. That would be a fun just binge. Yeah. I should, call, should name him Mini-Me. Did you see the Super Bowl commercial he did as Dr. Evil with yeah. uh, Rob Lowe, Mindy Sterling, and Seth Green? Yeah, and all I could think was like, so what was this Austin Powers what you keep talking about here, bud? If you're just... I, there's no way he could do Austin Powers 4 and still look like he could be a womanizing secret agent. He bloated up a lot, and he looks rough. Yeah, but they could make fun of the later years of um, Roger Moore's Bond with that. They could, you know, they could. That would be interesting. Interesting direction. It would be. <laughs> Maybe he's got, I mean, they could obviously explore the, you know, he's got a kid angle. Yeah. <laughs> so the part when, like, he, fi- he finally accepts Scott. Come sit with your father, Scott. And Minimi's still sitting there. This is awkward. I love when he says, okay, it's crowded in here. Everybody out. And then tells everybody, not you, not you. Not you. And he just looks at Minnie me like, why are you still here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those are those are great movies. I don't I don't care what anyone says. Those are all all three are hilarious. 
Oh no, they make me and yeah, I know like I honestly a lot of people really shit on Golden Member, but I'm like they're all three funny in their own way. I fucking laugh at all three of them. Yeah. I love when Michael Caine and Mike Myers are having a cockney like slang <laughs> discussion and just saying nothing. <laughs> That's a great scene. <laughs> fucking I eat because I'm fat. I mean because I'm depressed. I'm depressed because I eat. It's a vicious cycle. <laughs> That bastard. What a weird character. Right, we're getting way off track. <laughs> Get in my belly. Okay. <laughs> oh. Sorry, um, I like those movies. So me too. But so, uh, best scene we both had the uh, the weird rap worst, interlude. Yes, worst scene, not best. Let's not confuse oh, this. Sorry, part. I'm on. I'm. I I have multiple podcasts. Worst Don't. scene. Don't don't put this don't put this film at Oscar Sunday. Jesus Christ! No, no, not even the same. It's barely the same species. Oh uh, yeah, we're seeing when the movie pauses for a not even the best fucking Tupac rap song there is. If you want better, if you want Tupac to rap, just check out any fucking greatest hits album of his solo career. You won't be disappointed. Uh. And it's just it's it's Dan Aykroyd breaking up the like the piano and being like bah, 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 and like giving this like you know rocking voice. It's like all of a sudden he's trying to throw Blues Brothers into this thing. And yeah, it's, it's just it's, oh. look if you want to if you really want some Tupac, check out the song he did with uh Snoop Dogg, America's Most Wanted. Great song. Um, with that said, now now I really want to listen to a good Tupac. Oh. Um, so let's move on to the Edward, the worst line, which actually I had quite a hard time on this one. I did too. Uh, the, the dialogue isn't, I mean, it's stupid, but it's not like, you know, so horrendous that there's standouts. Yeah. There wasn't like, you know, anymore. I went, why did we have an issue with Sander in this time period? Like Tomb Raider. <laughs> yeah. Didn't have that, that moment. What was that line? Daniel Craig up the demon's ass. Yeah. Good times. Saying, uh, man. Apparently it was like no one, everyone had a thing against saying in the early 2000s. <laughs> uh, for my worst line, I went with something said by Fausto. Uh, weird that, you know, his uh, Chevy Chase's weird, like Brazilian air friends who just disappear yeah. halfway through the movie and are never talked about again until they just are at some island with with John Candy. Yeah. Uh, and it's during the dinner scene, Fausto stands up and says, in a very thick Hispanic accent, I will not replicate. You people are sick, wicked, funky, misanthropic, codependent animals. And I won't have my sister, who was once the queen of the Mardi Gras, sitting at a table with a pickle shooting train. It's, it's such a weird insult, and it's a weird direction to go in it's like everything else has been cool but you start throwing pickles at your girl all of a sudden or your sister it's like what the fuck is wrong with you people this <laughs> is and i did not like those characters either they Im- invite themselves on this trip they att- they contribute nothing it's their fault they're in this mess and then they just disappear their characters are the absolute worst <laughs> it's ridiculous so that's yeah, what that, that, that's a good one um it took me a. It, I was later saying like, "What the fuck am I gonna put?" Because there's no line that stood out for me. Um, but I was willing to pick an, another Faustos line because I just really hated this character quite a bit. I'm like, "God, this character's stupid." 
Um, and it's when they are trapped initially, you know, they go through the floor and they're in, their, in the underground prison, whatever you want to call it. And he just randomly yells at Chevy Chase, you're no longer our financial advisor. You're fired. I was just like, why does that matter right now? Like, I don't, I don't think that's probably their big guy. And if it was meant to be like a joke, it's a joke that falls incredibly flat. Yeah, 100%. That whole character, like the comic relief angle for that character and the sister, none of it works. They're just annoying. Yeah, they're annoying. And pretty no- offensive as well. Yeah. They're annoying and like none of their jokes really land. I, I can't I can't think of a single time I laughed at any other jokes. I laughed exactly one time in this movie. And it was at the beginning when De- uh, De- uh, Chevy and Demi Moore meet in the elevator and she like hands him a bunch of stuff and leaves and he yells out, thanks for the espresso maker and the bag of shit. That made me laugh, but yeah. that was it. I laughed a little bit when like she comes out of the elevator. He's like, "Give me the keys. Give me the keys." Fair enough. Good stuff. Yeah. Um. With that said, uh, next up, Steven Seagal's performance. I felt like this one was not necessarily as hard. There's a lot of options for me. I know that. So. Yeah. I- Anyone could take this, but to me, the king of not trying that hard is Chevy Chase. Uh, say what you want about Dan Aykroyd. He is he commits. <laughs> it's, it's a stupid perform, it's a stupid character, it's a stupid script, but he does perform. Uh, Chevy looks like he's got the script like written on his hand and he's just reading it the whole time. There is no emotion, no commitment. He doesn't give a fuck. And he's just going through the motions. So had to give the Chevy Chase. That's fair. Um, like I said, I, you know, a lot of people, right. This is a, a huge comedic talent for a lot of people. And he is like, just so clearly bored and not wanting to be there. It's almost painful to watch. Yeah. It's ridiculous. <sighs> um, for me, I actually did go to Hennig for my, <laughs> Um, I'm with you. Like, yeah, he is trying, but dear God, neither character he plays is remotely funny in the slightest. I agree with you. And it's, it's both his characters are just fucking gross. Yeah. I, I don't even know half. I can't tell you half of what came out of Bobo's mouth and none of it was English. I think it's, I was like, I, I, am I supposed to be laughing at this character or what? Like, I don't know. Um, and also at that point, I was like so like tuned out at this point. I'm just saying, I was just saying, I'm going, please, and just let this movie in already. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I get Dan it. Dan Aykroyd's a lot in this movie. He very much is like, look at me, look what I can do the whole time. And it's it's gross. The judge is just nasty. Bobo and Lil Devil, his brother, is. Ugh, I got. I'll, I, I'll wait. I'll wait. <laughs> okay. Um. With that, let's uh, move on to the Michael Bay first filmmaking decision, where I feel like I now have a good idea of what's coming up with yours. 
yeah, it's the giant fucking man babies that just appear in this movie with no explanation. And they're just like there. It's it's gross. It's disgusting. It's uncomfortable. And I I don't understand it. Like, why are they here? How are they? Like, what are they? They're clearly not human. It It's so weird. I, and that Dan Aykroyd would just commit to that. He's like, I need the big baby. Like, they need to be in this movie. Because of my dream, guys. <sighs> oh, it's, it's gross. And they're stupid. And Demi Moore treating them like, you know, oh, blah, 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 blah. it's so weird. I, I, I couldn't, I almost was like, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm just gonna end it here and just make do with what I've seen thus far. But I was like, no, I can't do that. <laughs> I wanted to so bad. It, a lot of the whole, like the end of this film, she starts introducing shit that makes no sense. Like how, like apparently the state is completely in on it. <laughs> I think I'm like, what the fuck is going on? What do you mean all these people are in on it? When they're like, hey, judge. <laughs> yeah, that was odd. Everyone just like, he gets results. Like, no, he's murdering speeders. Yeah. And then at the end, when he's like on the news, he's like, I'm going to go stay with my grandson-in-law. Like, there's no way that marriage is legally binding. That was under duress. <laughs> Not a chance. But that Chevy Chase like jumped through the wall Looney Tunes style. It's like, are there laws of physics in this movie or not? Yeah, again, complete left, like new type of comedy there with the whole like you can even hear him in the background going, No, you're not. And then like they do the sound effect as he's like bursting through the wall. Yeah, this is but nothing beats those giant ass weird human human cabbage patch doll looking fox. <laughs> That's too much. Those, those are the stuff of nightmares right there. That was the line. For me, that was the line. That one, I'm like, all right. there. Any redeemable qualities this film had go right out the window right there. Yeah. Uh, for me, I went a little bit more just outside the box on mine. And now knowing what we know about how they got made, um, I put not fully embracing this being a actual horror comedy and it getting recut to a PG-13. Yeah, 100%. That killed this thing. Yeah, like I get like, you know, look, I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of dark comedies. Like they can be good, but sometimes I'm like, just make it a fucking comedy. Like just, just comedy. Um, I am a fan, though, of horror comedies. I quite enjoy them. And if you're making a film, which Ackroyd even said was like Chainsaw Massacre was one of the influences here, was one of the things they were homaging. So I'm like, you're already saying you're, you know, looking at some horror films. You did this because of the audience reaction to Hellraiser. Just make an actual fucking horror comedy. Like, with all that comedy talent, can you imagine the type of horror comedy we're gone out of it? I, I like to think that there's a dimension out there where this is regarded as one of the greatest horror comedies of all time because everyone involved, including the producers, went for it. Yeah. I mean, look, the last time we got something where a horror comedy worked as well as it did made by comedians, to me, was Young Frankenstein. Yeah. None of those guys really do horror, but they fully committed to what they wanted to do and look at how fucking good that film is. <laughs> yeah, good good shout. 100%. Yeah, that's that's what can happen when I don't I mean, I guess you know 
maybe Mel Brooks fought harder for his vision than Dan Aykroyd did, or Dan Aykroyd's vision was clouded by whatever the fuck made him it, imagine this. It was, I feel like with Mel Brooks, he probably had a more clear vision, and also I don't think Gene Rodder was on set berating him. From what I've understood, Gene Rodder was a delight to have on set. Well, they had one, they had one big argument, but they apologized oh. and worked it out. As oh, yeah, look, yeah, look at that. Like friends do, they they worked it out. So well, Brooks called Wilder like right after the argument and said, like, what was going on in your apartment? All that shouting. That man was crazy. <laughs> Talking about himself. Like that yeah. was his apology. Yeah. So see, it, that's probably why that film turned out the Heavy's and, apology I mean, was fuck you, I'm worth more. Yeah. And also I you know, Franklin had a Marty uh, Feldman, who was everyone just, in that movie delivered. Marty Feldman's great. Madeline Kahn is hilarious. Terry Gar is great. I'm to your hump. What hump? <laughs> One of my favorite little moments is at the beginning when Frederick's talking to his fiance, and you know he's like, "I'll miss you. I'll miss you during this trip." And she's like, "Oh, don't touch me. Don't touch my hair. It's just, it's just been set." Yeah. And like. He blows her a kiss and she like ah like ducks to avoid it. <laughs> oh, she was a genius. You must, you must be Igor. No, it's Igor. But isn't it pronounced Igor? Nope. <laughs> oh, what a great movie. Yeah. Uh but yeah. whose friend did you get? Abby Normal? You got an abnormal brain. Put into this giant of a man. I'm going to go in this room and whatever you hear, do not <laughs> open this door. I may beg you. I will scream. Do not open this door. It's immediately locked in. It gets up. Let me out. Get me out of here right now. I was joking. Don't you know a joke when you hear one? <laughs> Mommy. <laughs> oh, what a master. Werewolf. Their wolf. Their castle. <laughs> castle. Could be worse. Could be raining. Anytime I can talk Young Frankenstein is a good time. It's hard for me to not start calling that film. So so good. It's infectious. (laughs) Amazing. Ah, God. Um, On that note, let's continue the happy train and try to discuss several linings in in relation to this film which was really fucking hard for me. So start with you. What was your silver lining? The one positive you have? I could find nothing in this movie that was positive. So I had to get a little meta. And uh, my silver lining is that Dan Aykroyd never directed another movie. (laughs) I mean, if this is what we got, maybe it's a good thing. He stayed away from going behind the camera. Yeah, you know, he focused on his uh, Crystal School vodka and me staying aloof of the men in black instead. Fleeting cameos have worked. I don't think he's written a lot since Ghostbusters 2 and this. So, maybe, you know, I'm, I don't want to, you know, shit on Dan Aykroyd too much, but I mean, maybe it's not meant to be for him to be one of comedy's greatest directors. No, it's not. <coughs> um, for me, I had a, a real tough time. 
and I, I ultimately went with the inclusion of John Candy. Um, not his funniest role by a long shot, but I just he's always a welcome presence for me. It's just there's always something about him. I like seeing him in a movie. There's a very warm presence about him. So no, not the funniest role he's done. I, I don't think I laughed at once at any joke he made if he did any because he kind of played this one a little more straight. Um, but just because it's Sean Kenny and just because I like him, it was nice to see him. I did chuckle at the uh, when they when he pulls over the Baldwin and he's like, You gotta blow for it. And he's like, Blow you? I don't think so. <laughs> and the girlfriend's like, I'll blow him. And he's like, Maybe later, next century. Like he's so hmm, so stalwart and justice. It's like, ah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> like chuckle. when he pulled the gun out on the guy and the guy tried to shoot him, he just pulls the fucking gun out. I did like the character. I thought it was weird that he also played like the granddaughter who was mute. That was an odd choice. Yeah. So that's why I say like, it's really weird. So you think like, especially with me, it being awkward, like, Hey, you got drawn candy in your movie. Like fucking use him. Like we, at this point he's established like how fucking hilarious he is on camera. Like why wouldn't you fucking take advantage of that? Especially with him playing a dual, a dual role. He would have fucking chewed it up had you just given him something to work with. <clears throat> yeah. I think that it would have been interesting to see. I think he played the wrong character. I think Dan Aykroyd should have played that character and Candy should have played the judge. Oh my God. I think it would have been a lot crazier and like a little bit scarier. Yeah, I could see that. Well, would have, could have, should have. But yeah, so that 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 that's our silver linings, and we're gonna move on to our next segment of what's in the box. What's in the fucking box? So on this segment, we go through the uh, movie social media website Letterbox.com, where every film known to man is reviewed by people all over the world, and. Uh, I find several reviews of these movies to try and make Caleb laugh. And I have, I believe, uh, five pretty good ones. Uh, this movie has a weird reverence behind it. It's considered a cult classic by a lot of people. I don't get it. I don't see how you can sit through this thing and be like, that was great. I can't wait to watch it again. Give me more. <laughs> this is the second and last time I will ever be watching this movie. Um, it's sitting at a 2.4 out of five stars on Letterboxd, which is pretty low, but still not the lowest we've gone on this show, which is kind of amazing. I think Batman and Robin still holds that. Even that, I was like a one point something. Yeah, it was 1.9, I believe. Okay, yeah. So Batman and Robin is a much better movie than this piece of shit. So I'm, I'm really surprised like the pyramid wasn't one of the ones that was really low because I really did not enjoy saying to the pyramid. <laughs> Can I express that enough? <laughs> uh, here are five reviews of Nothing But Trouble. Number one, this is from Joe. Dan Aykroyd is a dangerously insane human being. Three stars. <laughs> I, I think I'll second that. I'll third that. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Very accurate. Yeah, he's, he's nucking futz. But he's also very funny. So I'll forgive it. I think the most of the Woodford gives it. He, <laughs> he, may be, 
he may be nuts, but he isn't problematic and he's funny. So we just kind of let it slide. We're like, all right, whatever. He's like the village conspiracy nut. He's not dangerous, but he's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number two, this is from Bill Ryan. I respect it, but it's dog shit. One star. I respect it, but it's dog shit. <laughs> I, I, I agree half with half of that. It is dog shit, but I don't respect it. Uh, number three, this is from okay. Evil Parsley. I wish Dan Aykroyd directed more movies. This movie is like if Tim Burton directed Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> uh, three and a half stars. Jesus Christ. First off, I don't want Tim Burton version of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Just keep that the fuck out of my my brain. <laughs> I I think you know I think that's pretty on the money though. If they did if he did do that, it would look like this. It would, and it would be just as terrible. Yeah. Number four, what in the hell? No one ever told me there was a Dan Aykroyd house of a thousand corpses. I like that. Three stars. (laughs) An Aykroyd house of a thousand corpses. Uh, I like that. I'd I'd love to know if Rob Zombie saw this, like, around the time he started writing House of a Thousand Corpses. I'm sure I don't know if you saw it around the time, but I'm sure you've seen it. Um, and number five, uh, kind of timely too, because he has a new Monsters film that's supposed to be coming out. That's right. Yeah, which I'm looking forward to talking about on sneak preview this year sometime. Yeah, probably around Halloween, I would imagine. I'm assuming the last thing I heard, obviously that has been rated, so it is coming out this year at some point. It's been rated, um, but Dee Wallace is uh, confirmed to be in the movie. Uh, is she playing like Grandma Monster or something? She's playing uh, some like talk show personality that's going to be in the movie. Okay. I don't know that much about the monsters. I just know dad looks like a Frankenstein. Kid looks like a werewolf. Wife looks like like a vampire lady, I think. And then grandpa's a vampire. Yep. Wife is going to look like Sherry Mutami in the movie. Okay. <laughs> because the Sherry Mutami. <laughs> of course. Uh, number five. This is from JHF. My personal favorite. Capping off a 12 hours and two hits of acid 4th of July weekend, the only way I could think of, gathering some of my best friends around a television and making them watch nothing but trouble for the first time ever. I fucking dare you to find a friend better than me. Five stars. God. <laughs> they down the gauntlet. <laughs> Fuck me. You just been tripping for two days. You're like, I'm watching nothing but trouble and my friends can go fuck themselves if they don't like it. <laughs> You know what? That is my favorite. He sounds like my kind of dude. Look, man, I'm tripping. All right. I've been on a complete fucking trip for the past weekend. I'm putting this movie on. If you don't like it, there's the goddamn door. Happy 4th of fucking July. (laughs) Beautiful. I love crazy people. They keep the world interesting. Yeah. As long as they're not doing anything, you know, harm anyone, they do. They keep the world very interesting. And usually give us greatness in, you know, various shows like Ridiculousness and War's Dumbest and stuff. Like, thank you to those people for being able to give us those kind of shows. I do have a sixth I found that I was going to leave out, but it's brief and I might as well. And it just made me laugh. It was uh, 
everyone who doesn't like this movie is a cunt. Five stars. Yeah, I was like, should I? And I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's go for it. So there's another one for you. I mean, you can believe what you want to believe. <laughs> but now I guess, you know, what to think of me because I don't like this movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I said it before we rec- started recording or during. I don't know. But I'll say it again. This has dethroned Showgirls for me as the worst movie we've covered on this show. Yeah, I'm so waiting for one that beats the pyramid. Yeah. But, you know, well, you know, it's young. I still have to do the back half of the year schedule. And I've definitely been saving October for some solid horror picks to do. I've been building up our list of potentials to be something special. We've got about 1,300 movies in there. Dear God. Well, like I said, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, for those, I don't have a schedule in October. Buckle up. I'm, I'm going to go all out with nothing but horror picks and October, so I'm going to be subjecting myself to just a month of bad horror films on top of what I usually watch for the month. Wonderful. I'm excited to see what we've got coming for the summer because I'm going to finally have some genuine free time and I'm going to go, yeah, I'm going to go for broke. It's going to be good. Yeah. It's going to be great. Um, but until then, let's uh, uh, talk about our social media and what's going on the next week on our various podcasts. So social media first, uh, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Filmgasm Productions. If you want to shoot us a recommendation, feel free to email us at filmgasm at gmail.com. Uh, if you'd like to donate and support us in any way, you can find us on Anchor. And finally, feel free to go on our site, filmgasm.com, for reviews, shows, articles, and all of our episodes. <laughs> ah. Is that out of the way? <laughs> I think that's the first time in three years of any of our shows anyone's just straight up yawned during an announcement. <laughs> Way to go. Thank you. <laughs> oh. I'm here to I'm here to provide first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm keeping that in. <laughs> Next week we'll be tackling our first, and I'm honored to say this. Even on this show, our first Nicolas Cage film on this very show, we're already beating beyond uh, not the film, the main filmgasm show. <laughs> I got to. This is beyond the bad. This is beyond the bad. We're beating beyond the bad. I'm beating myself. Somehow we've gotten ahead of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I am very tired. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. We'll be tackling our, on this show, on this particular podcast, our first English Cage film, already kind of beating the main, the main show in film guys. Even though technically they're coming out with we're coming out with um, that one first, but we got to it sooner. Um, the film ultimately picked for Beyond the Bad. I meant sooner and as far as count of episodes. Whatever. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm holding the honor in my head. Um. Of all the Nicholas Cage films I picked, you're probably wondering which one. So there's a laundry list. And ultimately, I want one that I actually haven't fucking seen yet. So I was like, fuck it, I haven't seen this one anyway. I want one next. Uh, so that's what we're doing. 
Uh, all I know about it is that it has Jessica Bill, which is the reason I picked because anyone who knows me knows I have a huge, huge fucking crush on her. So I was like, you know what? I haven't seen this one. I have a huge crush on Jessica Bill. Maybe I can win somehow watching this damn film. I know I have not seen Next either, but I know that it's got something to do with precognition. I think like Cage can see the future, like like 20 minutes or something into the future and he uses it to stop like accidents or something. Uh, yeah, I've heard about it. It seemed interesting, but it didn't. I don't hear good things about it. Nope, it was right at the beginning of that uh, that paycheck gig saga that lasted for a few years. Uh, oh. Yeah, so this will be interesting. But you know, it's Cage Week, so buckle up. Yeah. On that note, on the Filmgasm podcast, we'll continue the Cage love. Because, look, don't get me wrong. I may be talking about Cage on Beyond Bad, but that does not take away how much I love the man. Um, we'll be talking about the very kick-ass uh, Nicholas, I was going to say John Cage, Nicholas Cage and John Travolta star <laughs> face-off. You, you need a nap. <laughs> as far as I took a nap before this, and woke up to your text. I was like, ah, oh, shit, I need to set up <laughs> so we we're, can record. We're almost done. We'll get through this. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, and with, so face off, um, on Oscar Sunday, we'll be taking, taking a break from the cage. Because I think, have you guys been leaving Las Vegas already? I can't fucking remember. Yeah, that's the first time we ever did Cage on any of our shows, I believe. Was okay, so we I want to say we've already kind of tackled currently the only Oscar, uh, Cage Oscar film, even though I would argue that there's a string of newer releases he should be getting nominated for. That's for another day. Um, on an Oscar Sunday, though, we're talking about the epic conclusion to the Potter saga, Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows Part 2. In time for the... Well, you know what? I'll get to it. So finally, on sneak preview, we'll be discussing the next installment in the so far incredibly underwhelming spinoff series, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. I cannot believe that this is the film that I'm not that excited for. Yeah, you mentioned, you know, latest installment. If things don't go well, it, it's probably going to be the last one, so... Yeah, as uh, as I don't, I think we talked about before we recorded, um, Warner Brothers has admitted publicly on all of the trade publications that there is no script for the fourth film yet, and they're not greenlighting four and five until they see how this one does. <laughs> they are not Ouch. confident in the fucking movie. <laughs> if only J.K. Rowling had just kept her fucking mouth shut, but we'll say more about that on, oh, yeah. on Monday. <laughs> Uh, that's just like one of their many problems they're dealing with with that movie um and then in a surprising turn of events uh, we'll also be talking about the much more promising looking netflix horror film choose or die i cannot believe i'm fucking saying that about a netflix movie over a goddamn harry potter film i know what the fuck happened <laughs> it's like when um i'll never forget when like Star Wars The Last Shadow came out. I was excited for that. Did not give two shits about that Jumanji film at the time. I was like, no, fuck you. You're making one without Robin Williams? Go fuck yourself. How's that sound? Eat my dick. How 
How do you like that one? <laughs> I had a really strong reaction at the time to them doing it without Robin Williams. <laughs> oh my god. And I went I went to go see fucking Star Wars and walked out incredibly pissed off. Like, what the fuck did I just watch? And I was seeing all the good shit being said about Jumanji. I was like, am I living in fucking bizarro war? Like, what's going on? I went to go watch it because I was curious. I was like, all right, I can't admit when I'm wrong. This was a really funny movie. Yeah. It's, you know, brand recognition will only take a film so far. You actually have to try to make a good one. Or else people aren't going to forget. That's why Rise of Skywalker and Fantastic Beasts 2 underperformed. (laughs) Can't just go on name. And apparently Jumanji actually understood that part of the assignment big time. They were like, guys, we cannot coast on the fact that we are making a sequel to a beloved Robin Williams flick with guys like myself saying, eat my dick. How do you make this film? (laughs) We have to try here, guys. We have to give them something. Uh, just eat my dick. Caught me off guard. <laughs> <laughs> I just pictured you screaming it at like an executive. <laughs> You've gotten a board meeting somehow. You're like, you fucked up Star Wars. Eat my dick. You get dragged out by security. Can you just walked into the, the movie for Chumanji. The first thing I go and see if like families just eat my dick fuck this movie smack some kids popcorn out of his hands as you're walking out <laughs> robin williams for life jesus uh, next time you try to go to that theater they have your name taped up in the box office like do not sell to this man <laughs> yes. no, uh, I'm going wow this is really funny I really like this Shumanji movie. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know what? I want to watch another one. Give me you don't have to eat one. my dick. I'm sorry. You did a good job with putting The Rock and Kevin Hart together. They're really funny. And Jack oh. Black was the best he's been in a long time. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, boy. Wonderful. This this was good. It's a shit movie, but it was a good a good episode. Yes, it was. And um, until then, ladies and gentlemen, maybe stay out of smaller towns during your road trip if you're, you know, a city yuppie. You may not always be welcome there. <laughs> See you next week on Beyond the Bed. Thank you.